This is the Canoe Creek Podcast. Our vision is to help people in our community connect to God, grow in Christ, and go serve others. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Road, and our Sunday morning service times are 9 o'clock and 10.30. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning, Canoe Creek. Listen, I almost called the whole thing off today. I almost called a snow day, put out a message on Facebook, don't even bother showing up. And, um, I mean, it's, that's cruel and unusual punishment. And if you like it, then you're, you know, singling yourself out as you're not from Florida. Um, so, and, and if you are, then you're just weird. So, all right. Um, but excited to be here today, excited about the, ch- the sermon series that we're in. We're in the sermon series called Our Church, and we're defining and declaring what the church is supposed to look like, what we're supposed to be doing, what our church is actively doing, and how we're engaged in our community because of God's will, because of the direction that He has for us. And, you know, it's really easy for any organization, whether it's a church, whether it's a company, whether it's an individual, whether it's a family, to drift away from their sole purpose or their values or their mission or whatever it may be. And so we need to be reminded, even more so when it comes to something as essential as the church. Uh, We are here. The church is God's community in, in which he is changing and shaping and molding people as they're trying to search for him and, and to, to grow and to change. And so it's so important then Therefore, that we declare, we define what this church looks like, what God died for, what his son gave up his life for. So it's so essential that we talk about this. If you're with us for the first time today, you couldn't have come at a better time uh, to hear about you know, how you can get more involved in our church or to hear about what God's word says about his church and why we believe the certain things that we believe or why we're doing what we're doing. And here's the reality. There's so many people, and this may be you today, You may be giving church a new try. It's like, hey, it's a new year. I'm going to give it a different try. But the reason why you're doing that or you feel like you have to do that is because you've had bad experiences in the past. You know, I've had bad experiences. I think we've all had bad experiences. The reality is bad experiences exist with any organization or any group. But the, the frustrating part is they're not supposed to exist within the church. The church is supposed to exist to try and erase that, to demonstrate the true love and the true unity of God within the community in which it exists. And so, therefore, you know, we're, we're trying to declare this stuff. Now, you may have heard of, a, of an ancient old illustration, a funny kind of joke, where this guy's stranded all by himself on an island. Uh, a ship shows up. They're excited. He shows them, hey, this is the house I built. This is the church I built. They said, what's that building over there? Well, that's the church I used to go to, you know, before there was a fight. That's an old illustration, but it's a, some, somewhat of a real illustration, right? There's this fighting or this struggle, this disunity that goes on within the church, and it is the place that is supposed to be symbolic. It's supposed to be the example. It's supposed to be the standard for where there is love and for where there is unity. Tom Rainer is a really great author about uh, church culture and church growth. He gave some real reasons why certain churches fought. Now, I mean, listen, if it wasn't reality, then it's laughable, but some of these are funny. They're sad, but they're funny. Uh, One church fought over whether or not to install bathroom dividers, bathroom stalls in the women's restroom. Like, you're actually fighting over that? I mean, that church is trying to take fellowship to a whole new level. You know what I'm saying? But they fought over that. One church fought whether they should allow people to wear black t-shirts because black is the color of the devil. I thought he was red, but they fought over that, whatever the deal. One church fought whether the church should allow deviled eggs 
within their, within their meals. I'm like, hey, just balance it out with angel food cake. It's all good. Um, one church fought whether or not their communion should be gluten-free. This obviously was a millennial church, but whatever. So uh, some church members left one church based on the fact that a group within that church hid a vacuum cleaner from them. So they left. Started the second church of Dyson. I'm not sure, but they left. You know, a church member was chastised one time in one church because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee bar, and they thought it resembled too much uh, like liquor. So listen, don't be spiking the church coffee, but that's, she got chastised for that. There was one church that had a business meeting where they fought over a purchase, and they fought for two various business meetings for two months until they finally decided to make the purchase. They purchased a weed eater. They were fighting over whether or not to purchase a weed eater. I'm not kidding you. Wackiest meeting ever. So that was actually pretty funny. I got to <laughs> Come on. Okay, so the last one, though, and this one, another one here, a disagreement over whether or not they'd use the term potluck instead of pot blessing for their meals together. That church, obviously, in Colorado, but whatever, the deal. doesn't really matter. So the, some of you are slower than others. But anyway, you know, listen, the most foolish reasons, and that's just a few out of this long list that Tom Rainer had published, real reasons why churches fought. And there's really no reason to fight. Uh, there's a way in which we can deal with disagreements. We are called to be united in love in Christ, unity around the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And here's the reality. People struggle to find their way to God relationally or back to God relationally. And the last thing they need is a church standing in the way, making it more difficult, uh, making the pathway to God more cloudy, or, or unclear. And so the church is supposed to be God's plan for bringing his life-changing message, his life-reshaping message to the community in which they exist. And this is why our church is a community where God changes people. And that's what we're talking about. No matter what we say throughout the sermon series, we come back to that concept that is God's church is a community. Notice we say it's not a place. Because it's not defined by a location, it's not defined by a building, it's not some sort of geographical area, you know, on the globe. It's a community. We talked about that last week. You can listen to that sermon if you have our app. You just listen to it right on your phone. But listen, it's a community, and it's a community where when it's right, when it's functioning just like God himself functions, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, together, that we see God changing people. He doesn't force himself on people like we said last week, but he, he allows and he invites and he provides opportunity for people to see him more clearly, to experience his love more abundantly, and ultimately lead them to make the decisions themselves, to start staking those next steps, to trusting him. That's why his community is a place where he ultimately changes people. And the number one reason why people will stay at a church uh, studies and studies continue to demonstrate this over the years. The number one reasons why somebody stays at the church is not the music. Now, that's number three or four on the list nowadays. And it's not how well the person up front speaks or how good of a speaker they are. It's always whether or not they feel accepted. It's always whether or not they feel welcome. Whether or not they feel like they were kind of put on the outside or whether or not they feel like people are willing to be open and invite me into their life at that place. That's why, listen, we have a welcoming team. And we're thankful for them. We're thankful for warm smiles and warm handshakes in the foyer. But here's the reality. A church uh, that is truly a community, everybody's a greeter. 
everybody welcomes somebody. You may be an introvert, and that's really hard for you. You know, maybe all you've got, just go up to a few faces you know and say, hey, how are you doing this morning? Strike of a conversation. But, you know, we all push ourselves to maybe find a new face, to say hello, find out who somebody is, whatever it may be. But this is the kind of community in which God desires because this is the kind of community in which he develops significant changes in people's lives. So let's use a verse this morning to talk about this topic. We're talking about our church, and this morning we're talking about our church is one. That means you are, we, are, we have unity. We are unified. And so our church is one. In John chapter 17, we find this text where Jesus prays for us, and he talks about this concept of our church being one, of the church is supposed to be united in so many ways. And uh, if you're following along, you can use your Bibles for John chapter uh, 17. If you don't have a Bible, look on the rows in front of you. You'll find Bibles there. You, you can take those Bibles home, by the way, if you don't own one. We want you to have God's Word with you. And also, if you use, um, if you use your, the Bible app, you'll find in the Events tab our name, Canoe Creek Christian Church. You click on that if you use a Bible on, on your phone. You'll find my sermon notes in there, so you can follow along even more closely if you desire. But we're going we're gonna to read John chapter 17. We're going to use that verse to mainly guide this idea of our church is one, and we're going to fill in with some other scriptures as well. So John chapter 17, beginning, I believe, in verse 20 is where we're at, and we're going to read through 26. This is what we read. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Did you know that Jesus Christ prayed for you and prays for you? This is awesome to know. That all of them, that's us, may be one. That we are united. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the presence of His Spirit, be in us. Why? There's a goal. So that the world will learn who Jesus is. They will know that God the Father who created them has sent Jesus for their salvation. And then begin in verse 22. It says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is a very powerful prayer for us. This is a very powerful passage. And, and I'll be honest with you, it, it, it takes a few minutes. I read it slower because it takes a few minutes to process all this. There's a lot of in me, in them. In the, but when you go back to it, here's what it basically sums up. It says, when Jesus was on this earth, he was a perfect representation of God. God was in him. He demonstrated the presence, the character, the power of God on this earth. And here's what's awesome. Jesus prays for us. Jesus tells us in this passage that if we trust in him, if we believe in him, if we follow in him, if we're connected to God, if we're growing in Christ, guess what? People are going to see Christ through us. 
Christ is dwelling in us. And this is what's so important, because when the community of God comes together, you have the presence and the power of God alive and active, not just simply in when we worship, but it's in how we fellowship, it's in how we serve one another, it's in how we hear about each other's burdens or each other's successes and how we celebrate that together and how we share with one another to help one another. When the community sees that, guess what they're seeing? They're seeing the presence of God. They're seeing the love of God. They're seeing the amazing unity of God. And they're moved by it. They're amazed by it. Please don't ask me to try and explain the Trinity. But that's what we see here. We see the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And yet even though they're distinctly different in various ways, they're diverse. You have the architect, you have the builder, you have the one who brings it to life, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. They're yet, they're perfectly one. They're one in love, they're one in mind, they're one in unity, they're one in goal. And this is the kind of relationship that, that Jesus is saying, hey, I want to pray that, this, that my community has this kind of relationship with each other. They have this kind of unity and, and this oneness. We see when we look at this that Jesus is praying for a community that will reflect the relationship of the Trinity. This amazing diversity, but yet they're perfectly one in in goal. They're one in love. They're one in, in their experience together as well. And when that happens, it's a community where people see it happening. People are encouraged by it. People are impacted by it. And guess what? They begin to make steps in the direction of God. God radically changes their life. When you see this, you, you see the, the Trinity or you see the Father, the Son, and Spirit. They all have the same goal. This is how they're one. They all have the same goal. They all have diverse roles, but they fit together like gears, uh, teeth on the gears fit perfectly together. And then thirdly, they know and they love one another. They don't just simply know one another. They know and love one another, and this love is perfect. What makes us one? This image that we see here, this relationship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit helps guide this idea. But in this passage, we see some things that help make us one, that lead us to being one. And the first thing is simply this. We have a common experience. We have a common experience together as believers in Christ. God's church, His community, all share a common experience. Listen, Christianity isn't, it's, it isn't about uniformity. It's about unity. Tom Rainer on his list also mentioned one of the reasons why a church was fighting. They were fighting because they believed that the worship leader's beard was too long. I'm not kidding you. That's, that's insane that his beard was too long. You know, back in the days when Clint Wise was still working undercover, he had a pretty gnarly beard. It's a good thing he's not working undercover anymore, right? We probably still have this fight at Canoe Creek. We have a fight about beards being too long on worship leaders up front or something. But... But the, the problem is that so often the church has looked at people changing about uniformity. That we look exactly alike or we act exactly alike or we do all these things alike. But it's about value. It's about heart. It's about spirit. It's about change. The radical truth is whether I'm in Costa Rica or in Haiti or somewhere else in, in between or around looking forward to going to Burma one day to be able to visit with Judah who we supported for years and whom we love. When I am there, I experience the same thing every time. There are people that I don't know. There are people that we don't even speak the same language. There are people who look totally different than me. And yet we find so much joy in the presence of one another because we have a common experience. And that common experience is this. We have repented of our sins. We have been forgiven by the power of God through the saving 
blood of Jesus Christ. And that common experience binds us together. It's the grace of God that we know that we have experienced together. It brings us together. It ties us together. we're, We're excited to be together so the church has this common experience together it's it's different it's not uniformity uniformity is what hitler tried to do everybody's got to look exactly alike but the church is radically diverse it has a diverse amount of talent has a diverse style of people and we may look a lot alike but here's what's amazing is we have one god there's one spirit this means it's giving us one set of values It's given us one set of principles to live by. It's given us one common goal that we'll ultimately live by as well. Listen, we are given the spirit of unity. It's not something that we manufacture or we make. It's given to us. And how is it given to us? It's given to us through the power of God. And and, and this is why we have received a common spirit. And and why we have received it is so that we can just simply maintain the unity of that. If all of us were given in this room, all right, will you come up with the set of values you're supposed to follow and the set of principles you're going to live by and and how you're going to organize this group that you call the church? Oh, it'd be a wreck. It'd be a wreck. We wouldn't get past three people before we have three different ideas about what's supposed to happen. You see, we've received it. We have a common experience that we've received from our God and our Savior. And so we're supposed to maintain that. Look at what it says. I'll put it up on the screen for you. In Ephesians 4, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and patient, or gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. See, this, this language is talk, not talking about manufacturing something. It's talking about maintaining something. And it's telling us to maintain that which we have received. And you know what we've received? Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. Those of us who have placed our faith in God. Those of us who have reached that point and we said, my next step is to take that element of faith I don't understand everything, but I understand enough to know that God is my creator and his son Jesus Christ was sent to be my savior. And we take that step. We all have received what? A common experience. And when we come together, we've received that common experience because we all possess the spirit of God. We all are able to to have that spirit living within us, within the community of, of the church. And when we live within the realms, the character of the spirit of Christ and the spirit of God, it moves people, it encourages people, it challenges people. And we're, we're doing this because we all have the same common experience in our salvation with Jesus Christ. And so we need to maintain that. We need to continue to grow in that. And this leads us to something important that we see within this text. Empowered by the Spirit of God, knowing what the values of God are through the Word, we all have one common goal. But a lot of times, right, what happens is is churches start fighting about what they're trying to accomplish, and, and the goals become about budgets and buildings and blah, 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 blah. I don't like this color, I don't like that song, whatever it may be. But Jesus Christ makes it very clear within this passage what our goal is. Jesus says in the passage that we read from John, May they also be in us. May they be in us. This is the idea of possessing the Spirit of God or being in the Spirit of God. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is why we talked about connecting with God, growing in Christ. 
The more we grow in Christ, the more we know who God is, the more we understand what He values, the more we value what He values, the more we live according to that value, the more we demonstrate the character of Christ. And what happens? People see Christ, essentially. People get to see Him in present in His people, in His community. And they're radically moved and radically changed because of that. You know, the, the Bible talks about the various gifts that we have. And, and all these, the goal that we have is built upon our ability to, to do all these various gifts together, to accomplish this, to make Christ present to the world. First Corinthians 12 talks about some of the gifts. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about some of the gifts. Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about these various gifts. There's a difference between spiritual gifts and, and spiritual fruit. Spiritual gifts are about activity. They're about doing. They're about accomplishment. Uh, spiritual fruit is about being. It's about character. So spiritual gift maybe you know, is teaching or it's hospitality or it's serving or it's something like this that you're just really gifted at. Whereas spiritual fruit is all of us are trying to be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more being. In a sense, it's about character and who Christ is. And, and here, this is what's most important. All of these things come to us through the Spirit from Christ. And Jesus says something that's extremely baffling, but it helps us tie all this together. He said to his disciples, he said, you and those who come after me, they're going to do even greater works than I do. And you're sitting here thinking, here's a man who raises people from the dead. He, through his own righteousness and power, raises himself from the dead, essentially. And he says, we're going to do, you're going to do, us together, we're going to do greater things. That's head-scratching kind of stuff. That's mind-boggling kind of stuff. But here's what he intended by it. When we put this idea together, having one common goal and able to accomplish that through various gifts, empowered by the presence of the Spirit, Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, was confined to this very small strip of land. I mean, he never, he never left Florida. All right? If he lived in Florida, he never left Florida. In fact, he never made it to the panhandle. And yet, now, through his community, he is worldwide. His message is preached everywhere. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.8 says, But to each one of us grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Men just meaning all humanity. When he triumphed, he distributed to his church, to his community, the various gifts to serve one another, to live in community, so we demonstrate the presence of of Christ. Now, listen to what else it says in, in this letter to the church at Ephesus. It says, He came, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Jesus never went there, but Paul clearly says that He's come to you. He's preached the Word to you. He's preached peace to you. How did He do that if Jesus never showed up there? He does it through His community. He does it through His church. As we gather together in his name, he has given us something that does require an element of faith to believe that he can empower me with his spirit so that when I live together in community with others and we can demonstrate to the world around us the presence of Christ, the power of Christ, it can lead to the transformation of various people. And, and this is illustrated with a simple illustration that you've seen before. I mean, if you're walking along the ocean, um, walking along the, the sand, and you find a piece of sea glass, you know, it's kind of pretty. I know people who collect that. You know, the edges are 
worn off and smooth, and you pick it up, and it may have a various hue of color. And it's pretty all in and of itself, but if you took you know, thousands, millions of those pieces of sea glass, and then you create this amazing mosaic to where you can see it up close, you can just see a little color, a little piece, but then when you back off, it creates this beautiful picture that you can envision, you can see it. You know, this is the idea of God's community. This is the idea of the church. As we work together with these various gifts to accomplish one common goal, it, it becomes a beautiful image for people. You know, I shared this yesterday with our students after our impact practice and our devotion time. Uh, this, this idea from 1 Corinthians 12, we see these various gifts, but yet the reason why Paul's talking about it is because they're all fighting over who can do this and who can do that. And then I, and I talked about how the Bible always uses this image, that the church is the bride of Christ. When you see a bride on, on her wedding day, she's dressed very beautifully, her makeup is just right, her hair is just right. You know, when she walks into to, to the wedding hall, everybody stands in honor. You know, all attention is on her. She's beautiful. She's very attractive. This is the imagery that is given to us, to the church. We're supposed to be attractive. People should see us, be pleased with us, be excited to know who we are, get to know us a little bit more, and through us see the presence of God, through us see the presence of Christ. This will lead people to know who Jesus is, the one whom God, our Creator, sent for salvation so that everything becomes about Jesus. Everything directs people back to the image, the illustrations, the understanding, the truth about what He has done for us, what He is doing for us as we connect with God, as we're growing in Christ, we can be changing, dramatically changing people. But here's the problem, right? These gifts that we have, sometimes we use them in such a way that it's, it doesn't create something that is attractive. It creates more of a cacophony. You know, blending of sounds that doesn't make any sense, and there's fighting, there's frustrations, there's aggravations. I don't understand this principle because I'm not a musician. I don't understand all of it, but I know scientifically there's something called um, sympathetic vibrations or something like that. That if you have A chord, B chord, C chord, or something like that on an instrument, and you strike the right note, it'll start to make one of the chords hum. So the B chord is sitting there humming. You know, while the A chord and the C chord are sitting there going, I don't know what's going on. A is saying to C, why is B jumping around and vibrating like that? Because it doesn't make any sense to me, you know. Well, because it has the gift of B-ness. But this is what happens within the community of God, right? We struggle sometimes. Somebody's got this gift or that gift, and I, I don't understand why they're doing this or how they're trying to do that or what's going on here. We learn how to respect one another. We learn how to, to encourage. We learn how to make the gifts work together, and we trust in the power of God to make that happen. Why? Because we have one common goal, and it's an essential goal. It's the only reason why I am a preacher to this day, because I got to a point where I realized that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, and therefore people need to know about him. And so I've dedicated my life, as many of you have, in your various fields of, of ministry, wherever it is that you work within your vocation, of sharing people, telling people, trying to demonstrate to God to people, through being a part of this community, knowing that God can radically change their lives. If they can just get a glimpse of who He is. Because all of us work towards this one common goal. But sometimes, the very gifts that He gives us to accomplish this goal, cause us to fight calls us to be fractured, calls us to aggra be aggravated with one another because we're not understanding each other, we're not communicating right or whatever it may be. So what does he tell us? What does he invite us to do in order to manage that, to maintain the spirit of unity that he gives to us? 
Well, he tells us, I want you to have a common experience, which you do, and which I've given to you. I want you to have a common goal, which I've given to you. But I want you to have an uncommon love. It may be common among you, but it's uncommon in the world in which we live. Because the world in which we live says, if you feel it, then you can love. Right? And as soon as we stop feeling it, we get divorces, or we break up friendships, or whatever it may be, because I'm just not feeling it anymore. But real love, the church love, God's love, it's uncommon in this world. And he wants us to have that uncommon love. It's a love based on truth. It's a love based on fact. It's a love based on God is a God who creates. And before he ever created, guess what was there? His unity. His love within the Trinity, within God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We see this amazing diversity. And yet we also see this amazing unity. And guess what holds it together? Guess what keeps it in balance? It's this uncommon love that we're called to have for one another. And we're called to maintain within our relationships as well. Think about this story. It's, I think it's Luke 13 or 16. I can't remember which chapter. Uh, but it's about a rich man and about a man named Lazarus. And they both die. And the rich man, it says, goes off to a place of torment. So he is obviously in hell. And he says to Abraham, send the prophets, send some spokespeople to my brothers. Tell them how bad this place is so that they don't end up here. And Abraham basically says to him, well, you know, you know they have... They have the word of God. They have his direction. They have his values. They have his understanding. And guess what? They're not going to listen to that. I could even send somebody back from the dead. They won't listen to him as well. And the point that this story ultimately is making, what he's saying here is the word of God and the truth of God. And if you, in the word of God and the truth of God, when we bind ourselves to that, then we can begin to love like God has loved us. If somebody comes back from the dead, even from the dead, we're just going to say, oh, that was just a hallucination, or oh, that doesn't make much sense. They're not going to believe that. They're not going to trust in that. That's how blind people, listen, the love of God, the truth of God, is how blind people start to see. How do you get through somebody's blindness? How do you get through their struggle to understand God, to trust God, and to believe God? He's telling us this is how we get through it. Show them an uncommon love. Show them a love that just they're absolutely smashed by, they're amazed by, they're dismayed by. You mean you love somebody in this way? You love somebody even though you don't feel it? You love somebody based on the presence and the truth of God? Absolutely. Well, how do we do that? God's Word, Jesus Christ says, if you, if you love me, obey my commandments. Well, what are His commandments? Well, His Word gives us His commandments. In Hebrews 3, it says, exhort one another every day so you're not hardened by Sin. Do you have relationships with people other than your family in which you're able to build into them this principle? So I think the first thing we'll do is we'll look at this and we'll say, how, you know, how do I have friendships like this to help me out? I think this is more about how we're helping somebody else out, how we're helping to build in somebody else the spirit of Christ, the remembrance, the understanding of Christ so that they can begin to live out this principle. You know, how are you doing 
with that or at that. This is one of the commands that we find within the scriptures. Colossians 3.16 says, admonish one another. That's scary. This is, I'm supposed to tell somebody when they're wrong. This is where the church, we struggle with this so bad. We're so quick to tell a non-believer, you shouldn't do that. Who are we to tell somebody who doesn't believe in Christ that you're not supposed to be doing this? Or you're not supposed to be acting that way? That's how people become very offensive and frustrated and aggravated with the church. We're not supposed to be going around telling people where they're wrong or why they did this wrong or how they should be doing this. But then, for some reason, I don't get it, we're really quick at telling non-believers what they should be doing. But then when it comes to believers who we know, and we all know them, right? People who talk behind people's backs, people who are professed Christians, yet they talk like a sailor, whatever it may be, whatever sins that you know are represented within our body, within our church, within the community, and yet we just, well, I don't want to say anything because I may offend them. I may upset them, and yet we're told that we need to point that out. And isn't that loving somebody? If, if somebody says, I profess to be a Christian, I profess to be, I belong to Christ, He's my Lord and Savior, and then they act in such a way with a character that is not in line with those values, isn't it loving for us to say, hey, you've professed this, but you're not living in such a way that aligns with that? So this is why He's given us this command to admonish one another. How are we doing at that? We can start there as well. You know, James 5.16, this one's really going to hurt. Confess your sins to one another. Do not jump up in the middle of service and just start blurting out your sins, which you're not going to do anyway, but I'll just go ahead and throw that disclaimer out there. But here's a question. Are there things that you are holding tight in your heart that only you know? That's, that, that's a painful prison. That is a painful prison. And God is saying, this is what I desire for you because you'll begin to understand my love more deeply. Find somebody that's ironclad. Find a true friend. A believer in Christ. Someone who's professed that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And then share with them the things that you know will stay with them. And you know that they'll admonish you because they love you. This is how we practice this love that God has asked us to maintain the spirit of unity. Romans fifteen seven says, accept one another. Accept one another. What this means is we can be radically diverse, radically different, but we learn how to love and accept one another despite the fact that we don't have uniformity. We have unity based on the Spirit of Christ. This idea is I'm going to walk into church instead of the Western culture of thinking. I'm not walking in with the idea of, oh, will I enjoy it today? That's how we typically walk into church, right? Will I enjoy it today? Will the singers be on key? Will the message have enough jokes in it or whatever it is? Will I, why don't we walk into church with this idea of accepting one another? How am I going to do something today? How am I going to engage something? somebody so that they enjoy it so they experience the presence and and spirit of christ there within the service today so that they feel as though they are accepted and warmly welcomed and involved as well now listen there's one final thing regarding this i think it's the most essential when we're talking about this uncommon love and how we maintain this spirit of unity so our church can be one and it's all wrapped up in just two simple terms is repentance and forgiveness our Our relationship with God is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential that there's repentance and there's forgiveness. When we recognize who God is and we trust in Him, we're going to repent. 
That means we're going to focus on Him. We're going to believe Him. He has values for our life. I'm going to start adapting my life to those values. I'm going to make them a core center part of me. That's repentance. And, and then we receive the forgiveness of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We cannot have a relationship. Let me make sure I'm very clear about this. We cannot have relationship with God apart from repentance and forgiveness. But yet, we have this amazing idea that we're going to be able to have this wonderful, beautiful, God-glorifying relationships with other people within this community, and yet we don't practice repentance and forgiveness. You see, what it is that God gives to us through repentance and forgiveness, what it is that he demonstrates to us, his love is powerful. And he says, I want you to get it. I want you to understand it. I want you to know it. I want you to to experience it. I want you to be one with it. And so he says, I tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in a community with other people. And I know everybody else is an idiot because they are. Right? That's how we think. Man, if everybody was like me, it'd be awesome. I say that like at least three times a week, okay? This is true. This is sad, but it's true. Well, now we're in a community where, guess what? Repentance and forgiveness is a great, a great place in which we can practice it. And we begin to experience and understand this kind of repentance and this kind of forgiveness. And what does it do? It ultimately develops in us, this understanding of God's love, and we're maintaining that spirit and how we relate to one another. You see, this principle is found in Matthew 18 and Matthew 5. It's, it's, the, it's this principle that basically essentially says, hey, listen, if there's something between you and another brother or sister in Christ, if there's some sin or some problem, go make it right. Go fix it. Deal with it. Practice repentance or practice forgiveness. In fact, there's this interesting thing that kind of tempers it. This is Proverbs 26. It seems like it, 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 it's conflicting at first, but it says, answer a fool according to his folly. And then it goes on to say, don't answer a fool according to his folly. But when you look at it in context, uh, we, when it comes to the relationships, there are times when people will attempt to just use your graciousness, your desire to be peaceful. They'll just use it to go on sinning. Uh, they'll, they'll just use it to manipulate. They'll try and twist things up and, and ultimately use your, your love to just harm themselves more. And at that point, that's when you step away. That's when you walk away. You want the relationship to be peaceful. You want it to be fixed. But the only way to do it is to step away from it because all they're doing with my graciousness and my love is abusing it and making themselves worse. And, and so, but, but regarding the other, answer a fool according to his folly. What we learn in this principle from Matthew 18 or chapter 5 of Matthew is that when there's something between you and another brother, when there's a sin, when there's an issue, whether you caused it or not, or think you didn't cause it or not, Whatever it may be. It's not 60, 40, 80, 20. It's whenever you know there's a problem, guess what? Go talk to somebody. The person involved. Go fix it. Work towards some resolution. Is there a need for repentance? Is there a need for forgiveness? There may be. You may go talk to somebody to get advice or counsel first. But the biblical principle is you go practice what? Repentance and forgiveness, and demonstrate the love of God in that. What is repentance? It's confessing to God your sin. It's confessing to a brother or a sister that you have 
upset or harmed or whatever that you did something wrong. And then it's saying, hey, I've got a plan to make it right. I've got a plan where I won't do it again. I've got a plan to where we can avoid this happening in the future. And, and, and ultimately, what, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness goes like this. It's granted before it's felt. Think about this for a minute. I've had so many people tell me this, and I've experienced this myself. I don't feel it. And so what do we do? We don't give forgiveness until we feel it. Well, when you don't feel it anymore, then you have nothing to give. The whole purpose of feeling it, the whole purpose of having the pain in here and the frustration with somebody else is giving you the ability to do what? To actually then forgive. If you don't feel it anymore, then there's no need for it. There's no need to practice it. And what do we give? What is it that we do? How do we forgive somebody? What's the practical application of it? Jesus Christ forgives us. What did he do? He died for our sin. So we don't have to pay for it because we can't pay for it. How do you forgive somebody? Stop making them pay for whatever they did to you. That's what true forgiveness is. And, that, and that's where you find true love. And, and within this, these characteristics that we've mentioned, especially within practicing repentance and, and, and forgiveness with one another, we find an uncommon love that helps balance this uh, unique experience that we have through God and this, this, uh, just this bond that we have through His Spirit as well. You know, God has given us an un, a common experience. He's given us a common goal. And He's given us the tools to maintain an uncommon love through practicing repentance and, and forgiveness and some of the other things that we mentioned here uh, towards the tail end of this message. So let me ask you a question. Where are you at? What's your next step? Is it your turn to start trying to make this kind of a community for somebody else? Or is it that you're not a believer in God and you really want to take that next step and you've been searching for God and searching for His community that demonstrates this, that shows this? Either way, you've got a step to take. Whether it's connecting your life to Christ for the first time and beginning to be a part of a community that is one, or it's you're already connected to Christ and it's like, listen, I need to do something here at Canoe Creek to start helping make this community to be more one, to demonstrate this amazing beauty of God, this love of God, so that what? We become a community where God is radically changing people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to share in your word, to study it together, to know it better. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship in every way that we have this morning, as we will here over the next few minutes. Lord, the opportunity to sing songs that remind us or encourage us, whether we're up and we're excited and we're just joyful to sing, or we're down. And within the song, we're reminded of some things. Like, you know, it's not just simply about what I want. It, the, you have provided me with the things that I've needed. Uh, to be reminded, Lord, of how you serve through your community, how, how the oneness of the community, how our, our one common experience, our one common goal, and the tools that you give us and the love that you give us to maintain this, Lord. We're just encouraged through all of that and, and through the message and through these times where we can pray by closing our eyes in, in reverence, uh, bowing our heads in reverence, lifting up our voice in faith to recognize that you're there, that you hear us. We ask that you would help us to comprehend your message, this powerful prayer that your son Jesus Christ prayed for us. Even though you existed before all of the world, there was a great sense of diversity within you and yet a great sense of unity all balanced out by your love. Help us, Lord, learn to use that, to practice that, to be that here at Canoe Creek. Uh, help us to take that next step. 
Lord, if, if we don't have a relationship with you, we just ask that you would guide and direct each and every individual here who don't have a relationship with you to make a decision to talk to somebody today to think about it. Uh, Father, we just pray that you'd help our church continue to grow in a sense of unity. As we gather together each and every Sunday, that you would uh, help us to seek out relationship with one another. If there's issues between people here within this building, that they would seek uh, to re- resolve those issues through repentance and forgiveness and, and demonstrate your uncommon love in that way, Father. Whatever the next step is, through the power of your Spirit, I pray that you would apply it and direct us so that we may carry out uh, your love in this church community and in this broader community as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for this time of meditation, for this time of communion that's coming up, just want to remind you, as the elements are passed, they remind us of the body and blood of Christ. That's what the small piece of bread is. That's what the small cup of of juice is. Reminding us that Jesus was here physically. He demonstrated the presence and the power of God here on this earth. He died for our sins because he has forgiven us through his death, burial, and resurrection and his graciousness and his love. We celebrate him on a weekly basis. We focus in on this death, burial, and resurrection and the fact that he is watching over us because he's alive and he's coming back to us. And so this is a celebration. As the elements are passed, if you're a believer, I'd invite you to take them and reflect in a way that is worthy of your Lord and Savior. If you want to talk to somebody about their relationship, about your relationship with God, and and what you want to do, that next step you want to take, we have prayer and decision partners who are going to be available around the room at this time. Please go and talk to one of them. They're there to pray with you, or they're there to tell you, hey, this is your next step. This is what you need to do. Uh, You've already been united with Christ in baptism? Awesome. You need to get involved in a small group or you haven't been united with Christ in baptism, they're there to guide you through that next step as well. So as we prepare our hearts, let's stand together, let's sing this song, and then let's reflect in a way that's worthy of God.